Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Good evening. How's everybody doing? It's six o'clock, so we're going to go ahead and get started, or actually it's a couple minutes after six o'clock, so we'll go ahead and get started. Let me make, I've got a couple of notes, I'm sorry, to give you some information uh, before we get into the meat of the meeting. One piece of information is that as a church, we moved to a digital database system about a year and a half ago called Realm, and some of you have registered for that, signed up online logged into it, have your own profile, uh, and that is fantastic. And some of you have not done that. We sent that out as an email invitation. And one of the reasons that's important is it's important for us to have accurate information and you can access that and update your information inside of Realm. But also with our Sunday school classes, our small groups, and our communication systems, Realm is the way that we're trying to encourage uh, our entire church to know what's going on in terms of an internal communication system. So it would benefit you to be able to access Realm. Now, if that doesn't, you sit there and think, what in the world is he talking about? I'm going to try to help you with that. Over the next several weeks, uh, we are going to give you an opportunity to sign up on on a spreadsheet to come see Pastor Tad, Barbara Adams, or Tim Hutchinson, and they can help you with that Realm registration. Make sure you know what we're talking about, how that would be benefit you, how that would help with uh, our communication processes inside the church. I will have that next week available for those of you that attend the uh, church conference next week to sign up. We'll actually have it available for you to sign up for several weeks and available for you to attend that several weeks. Uh, Another thing I want to mention is a couple of updates about our Wednesday schedule. Uh, This week is our town hall discussion. Thank you for being here. Y'all make me nervous, by the way. I know y'all don't think so, but I'm nervous. I got a lot of questions I know you're going to ask. Anyway, uh, you pray for me and pray for us. Next week will be church conference, and we will meet right in here, same time, 6 o'clock. And uh, we're going to do a little more than just a typical church conference. We're going to give you the treasurer's report, and we're going to give you the minutes from the previous church conference. But we're also going to provide some other reports uh, from some committees in our church. Our property committee is certainly going to give a report. You're going to hear a report from our worship ministry, from Dr. Mike Matheny and Dustin Deal. You're going to hear a report from uh, Danielle Hicks, our Minister of Children and Families as well as us deal with the business at hand, which would be the bylaw revision vote uh, and and other items there. So that will be next week, 6 o'clock. We'll have a church conference, but it'll be what we would consider an extended church conference. Um, the 31st is a kickoff for Awana. And what that means is you're going to see a bunch of little kids running around on Wednesday the 31st. And hopefully we're going to have all the teachers that we need in their rooms on August 31st. Let me give you some good news. You'll hear a more detailed report about this next week. From last year, the fall, September of last year, to May of this year, so September 21 to May of 22, our Awana attendance doubled. And we're expecting it to be even bigger in this fall. We actually know some families that are going to be attending, some children that are going to be attending that did not, that were not with us in the spring. That is wonderful. Uh, that, that means a lot of children are hearing about Jesus, growing in their faith with Jesus. It also means we need to birth some other Awana classes, take some of those groups that are two grades and make them one, one grade, and we need some more leaders. You're going to hear about that from Ms. Danielle next week. Some of you, uh, as, as you reflect on your obligations as a church member, some of you might need to consider serving in a capacity, maybe on Wednesday nights with Awana, maybe in other capacities. Uh, and so you're going to hear more about that next week. But the 31st is going to be basically an Awana kickoff. That's all we're going to do that night. Make sure our children and families know where they're going. And so that's the 31st. When Wednesdays get back in a normal, regular pattern will be September the 7th. So the first Wednesday of September. And the schedule is going to go back to what we used to do on Wednesdays. 
Awana will meet from 5.45 to 7.15. And as I mentioned, we have a lot more kids in Awana. And so we're going to let them use this space for their worship window from 5.45 to 6.05. And then they're going to go downstairs to their classrooms. For us as adults, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the fellowship hall. You can come to the fellowship hall as early as 5 o'clock. We're not going to provide a catered meal, but you can bring all the food that you want to bring. If you bring Little Debbie cakes, I'll definitely be in there with you at 5 o'clock. But you can bring your own food if you'd like to. Uh, You can fellowship in the fellowship hall uh, as you bring your children for Awana or as you come early to enjoy a meal with the rest of your church family. And then what we'll do, we'll get started with our Wednesday Bible studies right back in the fellowship hall. Uh, as we had done pre-COVID in terms of schedule-wise. So the schedule will look like pre-COVID. The difference will be we won't be providing a catered meal. Uh, You can feel free to join us. We'll get started in there roughly around 6 o'clock. Maybe not exactly around 6 o'clock, but roughly around 6 o'clock if you're just coming for the Wednesday night Bible study. That begins uh, September the 7th. So those are some dates and information that you want to be aware of. Um, Let me begin with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to try to answer a few broad questions that I've received prior to tonight's meeting and then open the floor up for you to ask questions uh, of myself or of the committee that helped us with the bylaw revision. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us and that you are gracious to us. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are holy and you are righteous. You are more glorious than we can imagine and more glorious than we deserve. And Father, in your grace and your abundance of mercy, you reached down to people like us and you offered us salvation through your son Jesus. And we are indebted to you for our very souls and forever and forever for the salvation that you've given to us through Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for the privilege to be at a church that loves you, that loves each other, that is committed to fulfilling your mission of making disciples all over the world. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that during our discussion tonight, you would uh, give us good questions that are going to be asked. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us good answers to those questions. I pray, Lord, more than anything, that you would guide our church's direction. Lord, I, I know the people that are in this room. I know they love you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we gather in this time of conversation and discussion and Next week in a time of business and decision, I pray, Lord, that we'd follow your direction and your will for Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Help us be faithful to you. Help us to honor you, love you, and seek you first. Uh, We trust you. We put our time tonight in your hands and our time in the weeks ahead in your hands. In Christ's name, amen. So let me start about with about 10 minutes of just kind of overall uh, trying to answer a few questions. It's already been asked. One question that was asked of me this week is, uh, it seems like the church is doing pretty good. Why would we consider changing anything about how we operate as a church? That's a good question. To be honest with you, my wife asked me that question about a year and a half ago, a year and two months ago, when I first brought any of this up to her and talked to her about that. And uh, in short, I preached a sermon in March that talked about why we needed to consider a change in polity. To be honest with you, the only answer that really matters for us as a church is whether or not the Bible tells us we need to do something. The, the Bible is our authority. Our polity is not really our authority. I'm not your authority. Your deacons are not the authority. And, and I'm thankful that at our church, nobody tries to act like that. Nobody tries to run or govern the church in a way that is unhealthy. So the real question is, does the Bible teach that a church should be led by a pastor or a plurality of pastors? And I think the Bible is pretty clear through all of its places that it talks about elders and pastors and leaders that there is a plurality of pastors that should be leading in the life of a church. Uh, I have written on that. If you go back to some blog posts I wrote and linked to our Church Beacon uh, newsletter, I've tried to make a case for that over and over. So if the Bible suggests or tells us that this is the way that we ought to function, then God's our authority and we ought to look at how we make our functioning 
structures something that uh, mimics what Scripture teaches. Uh, there's another reason for that, though, considering a change. And, and it, it this comes from a, uh, an article that Jonathan Lehman wrote. He is a part of the Nine Marks Ministry at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And he put it this way. He said, when an organization is growing and prosperous, nobody cares much about its governing structures or polity. Uh, he quotes, if it ain't broke, why fix it? People only care when things fall apart. Then they clamor, who has the power of discipline here, who should be holding whom accountable. Discipline and accountability are the first things people wonder about when leaders fail. Polity is not essential for salvation, but it is essential for helping the saved walk lovingly and peaceably together. It is essential for passing the gospel to the next generation. It is essential, finally, for biblical obedience. In short, why consider changing things when things are going okay? Well, because now is the time to change things and, and change things in a way that I think is more biblical and long-term will help us be more healthy. Part of the reason for that is that a plurality of elders provides for a system of real accountability for your pastor, myself, and for the others that will be in the role of elders in leading our church. I need accountability. I have a friend that I talk to on a regular basis that does hold me accountable, but we need that within the system here at our church. I think the Bible provides a model that suggests exactly what that should be. Another question that's been asked in, in recent days is, uh, why should we look at moving to a plurality of elders when we have a plurality of deacons? Because we do have a plurality of deacons. Currently, we have 20, 20 deacons that are active and official. One has stepped off the diaconate for a period of time. Uh, we have a plurality of deacons that have done an excellent job serving in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. They love the Lord. They love your church. They love the people that they serve. We're gr very grateful for them. But the Bible does not place in responsibility, deacons in responsibility, to oversee the church. The Bible places deacons in the church to serve the church. And our deacons do a great job serving the church. Uh, but when we talk about about elders, we're not talking about deacons. We're not talking about graduated deacons. We're not talking about deacons that have stepped out of, you know, a, a little kid ministry and moved to big kid ministry or anything like that. Diaconal ministry is tremendously important in the life of the church. Elder ministry is tremendously important in the life of the church. We need both. Uh, what's the distinction? When you think of an elder, you should think of someone who is shepherding the life of the congregation. One of the books that we've read over the last several years about elders talks about elders are to lead ministry in the congregation, deacons are to facilitate ministry in the congregation, and the congregation is to... Can you guess what's next? Do ministry in the life of the church. And so in one way you could look at it as the elders are responsible to oversee all the ministry. So when I sit in on a finance committee meeting or when I sit in on a uh, ministry discussion, whether it's children's ministry or student ministry, I'm not responsible to do all that the finance committee does or responsible to do what the personnel committee does or responsible to do what the property committee does or what Miss Danielle does what Tad does, but I am responsible to know how what is happening in that ministry affects that committee and affects that issue in the life of the church. I'm responsible to be aware of those things and how one affects the other. That's oversight. And if something happens in one of those areas that is not good or not healthy, then guess who gets to take responsibility for that? I do. And that's the, the calling that God placed on my life. I own that. I, I am thankful and grateful for that. But I think one of the things that God has provided for in the life of His church is He's provided for that to be not just one person, but a plurality of people who are overseeing the life of the church. I'm not perfect 
at all. Ask my wife. I have many, many flaws. And, and not only am I not perfect in terms of sinlessness, I'm not strong in every area. Ask the staff. In fact, they would kindly tell you some areas where I'm not strong in. That's why God put us together with a staff that is uniquely gifted in other areas. And part of having a plurality of elders is having different individuals who are gifted and strong in different areas overseeing different aspects of the church life and working together. So why elders when we have deacons? Well, simply the Bible talks about there being elders in the life of the church. Elders will be responsible to shepherd the soul of the congregation. What does that what do I mean? Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible says, the writer of Hebrews says this to the church, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So uh, some pastors really, really lean into that first part, obey your leaders and submit to them. And I've heard that uh, growing up, but the part that scares me is the next line, where it says that they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So one of the reasons why I believe this is a direction we need to go is because there's going to come a day when I stand before God and every person who's a member at Wilkesboro Baptist Church under my tenure as your pastor, I'll give an account for you to what regard I was responsible for your spiritual life. And to be quite frank, we have 800 and some resident church members. I don't know everybody. And physically, humanly, it is not possible for me to adequately care for every one of those individuals to the extent that they might need or will need. I love what I do. Pastoral care, preaching, pastoring, leading. Had an opportunity this afternoon to lead a teenager to know Jesus as its Lord and Savior. Have an opportunity this week to preach a funeral for a dear saint, a godly, godly woman, Norma Jean Burnett, who just loved this church deeply. I love doing all of those things. But when you take those needs and extend them out to all 800 and some church members that we have, there, I believe, needs to be a shared responsibility of elder leadership across our congregation. Now, one thing I'm not talking about is extra paid staff. If you go back to the Old Testament, or you go back to the New Testament, rather, and you look at how the New Testament church functioned, few some, but few of the pastors, the elders in the life of the church were paid. Not all of them were paid. The First Timothy chapter 5 does talk about the, the preaching pastor, the pastors that teach being worthy of honor, it's remuneration for their work that is there, but not all of them were, 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 uh, were paid pastors. So this plurality of elders is not asking you to support in a budget an extra set of senior pastors or an extra set of associate pastors in the sense of paid leadership. It's not. It's asking for men in the congregation who feel called and are qualified, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, to be willing to become lay elders in the life of the church, where they would bear some weight of shepherding, caring for, praying, and leading the congregation. Obviously, they're not going to do all that I do, I'm called vocationally. I'm a paid employee, if you want to put it that way, of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Uh, so a lay staff person, or excuse me, a lay elder is not going to do the same thing that I do week to week, hour to hour, day by day. There will be some shared ownership and responsibility and shepherding in the life of the church. We're talking about lay elders. In fact, in the bylaws as we have presented them to you, there are no extra staff members recommended in, in what we're asking you to decide on for next week. And that's not provided for in the budget. That's not, excuse me, that's not provided for in the bylaws. Um, Let me answer uh, two more questions, kind of overarching questions, and then turn the floor over to you. Um, One question was asked about, are we trying to create a scenario where we discipline people out of the church because we've clarified some spaces about church discipline in, uh, in the document. We didn't really change a whole lot. If you go back and look at both documents, the previous document and the one we have now, the, the bylaw revision, not a whole lot changed with church discipline. We just clarified some things. I was talking with one of my good friends, Steve Robinson, earlier, and we were talking about the issue of church discipline. And, and he, 
he made a point that in a healthy church, church discipline happens all the time. Uh, and you know how Jesus starts that conversation with church discipline. If you have ought against your brother or your brother has ought against you, you go make that right. And if they listen, you've won your brother. Matthew chapter 18. Well, that's where church discipline starts, but sometimes it gets to a point where it needs to be brought to the attention of the church. I'll be honest with you, I think we need to do that in a healthy way. But this document is not, does not really change that uh, factor at all. Um, so I, I, I don't think you need to be afraid that we're going to try to out and out church people and send people away from our congregation. We do expect uh, involvement from our members. I think that's right. I think that what you will notice in the bylaw revision is an elevated expectation of membership. If you remember at Wilkesboro Baptist Church, you have a responsibility to the Lord through the church. I don't think any of you are surprised by that. We're just clarifying what that looks like. I do think elders, if we move to this model through the bylaw revision, I think one of the things elders will do and work toward in 2023 is looking at our membership. Uh, looking at those 800 or so members that we have in the life of the church and trying to find out where the ones are that we don't know who they are or where they are. That's an obligation that's on our part. So that's something that, that we would look to do. One question that was asked in nearly every Sunday school class that I, that I gathered in was the issue of are we going to move to women deacons? Uh, and if you notice in the bylaw revision, the bylaw revision states that an elder shall be a male. I think the Bible is utterly clear that those who lead the church as an elder or as a pastor are to be male. Now, you may not like that, but if you don't like that, then you can take that up with the people who wrote the Bible. Rather, the person who wrote the Bible. God through... Uh, it's just what the Bible says, okay? The Bible's our authority. Uh, the Bible does give some indication that there could be women deacons. There is an argument to be made for that. Uh, I've thought on that over the years. Uh, uh, one of the reasons that's a little muddled is because at times in our church and in many Baptist churches, deacons have functioned elderish, meaning governing, guiding, deciding, making decisions, things of that sort. And so some of it's a little bit fuzzy. I think some of the reason we're wondering why do we need elders when we have deacons is because deacons have historically served in a function of kind of guiding and overseeing. Why is that? Because pastors come and go. Now, pastors Pastor Al was here for more than 30 years, and Byron was here for eight. I'm, I'm, this is my seventh year. Can you believe that? I still feel like I'm the new guy. Uh, this is my seventh year, but pastors come and go. Do you know who doesn't come and go in the life of a church? Deacons typically don't come and go in the life of the church. And so it is natural for then a church to have a level of diaconal responsibility and authority. But what that means biblically is that we should make sure that deacons are functioning like the Bible instructs them to and elders are functioning like the Bible instructs them to. A move to a plurality of elders basically sets us up for those laymen in the church to stay in the church regardless of what the paid staff do. Okay? So you can make a case. I think there is a, a case that could be made for women serving in a diaconal role. I absolutely think that. In fact... Without the office or the title, we have women doing women's ministry now. Whether it's in children's ministry or in marriage ministry or in counseling or in worship ministry. So the word deacon, you know, means minister, servant in the life of the church. So a case could be made for that. But what this bylaw revision does is it doesn't go there yet. And there's a reason it doesn't go there yet. Because for us to do this transition well, if you approve the bylaw revision next week at our meeting, uh, we've got some structural changes to make and some figuring out to do. The distinctions between elders and deacons. What are elders going to do regularly? What are they responsible for? How are deacons going to be responsible in ministry areas and committees? There's some clarity that needs to be figured out. And it's going to take a little bit of time for that to happen well. And what I would propose is that in 
in a year or two years, we revisit questions like that. And what the elders would do would be to study that issue scripturally, theologically and practically in the life of the church, and bring back a resolution to the congregation to make an adjustment should an adjustment need to be made. So this is not us uh, saying we would never look at that situation. It's just us punting uh, until we feel like we've got a little bit of time to navigate that well. Uh, What I don't want to do is get caught up in one issue when we're trying to adjust another issue. Does that make sense? I don't know if that fully answers your question. Some of you may not agree that we should have women deacons. Some of you may think we absolutely should have women deacons. Guess what? We're a Baptist church. When you have two Baptists together, you have three opinions. So I realize we differ on some things. That's okay. It's not uh, entirely unhealthy. Those are the big questions that kind of came to me prior to the meeting. Maybe I answered some of those questions for you. If I did not, or if you have any other different question, the floor is basically yours to ask a question. Let me say one more thing before I turn it over. Josh and Al have microphones. They will bring your way so you can speak up. I'm grateful for Steve Melton, James Sullivan, John Snyder, Mac McGinnis, uh, and Lee Bentley. I think all five of you are here tonight. Is that right? Will you stand up for just a second? Each of these helped with the bylaw revision. We worked together on that. So this isn't the pastor's pet project and I just wrote it and they signed off on it. We worked really hard on detailing where we landed and I'm grateful for these men the way they helped us uh, through this process. So floor is yours for questions. What you got? Somebody's got to lead us off. So I need somebody who's not shy to raise their hand and say, I've got a question. That'll help open everything else up for everybody else. we got Terry Carroll right over here in the back and then Miss Elaine. Um, earlier this year, we met with a pastor from... The D.C. area that uh, that was operating a church and, and, uh, like that with the elders and that type of thing. I was uh, just wondering, outside of Presbyterian churches in Wilkes County, are there other churches that have elders in place? Uh, in the county, I'm not sure. Mount Pleasant has elders. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, the, the model we're looking at, uh, or the model we're proposing, is probably best described by Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, and some of the nine March resources that we've looked at. Um, and there is a distinction between the elders that serve in a Presbyterian church and the elders that we're proposing. There are two different models of elder leadership. There's a model that has governing elders, where essentially the elders... When I say lead the church, what I mean in that situation is they dictate the church. They make all the decisions. And then the church follows those decisions. That's governing elders. There are other Baptist churches that have that as their model. That's not what we're proposing. We're proposing leading elders. So where I lead the church, I don't dictate to you what we do. I do lead. I do God. I'm responsible for that. But the church remains congregational. And the bylaws are very clear about that. We remain a congregational church. The congregation will have to affirm decisions that we make, whether it's on budgets or spending or staff members, and the congregation will have to approve elder nominations and elder candidates, as well as deacon nominations and candidates, as we've done before. That is tremendously important. I believe the, the biblical model of a church is a congregational model with elder leadership. So there is a distinction there, and just want to make sure you know where we're coming from. Miss Elaine? How are these elders to be chosen? That's a really good question. And um, we're still working on that. No, no, no. I, I, I say that a tad bit jestfully, but also with a whole lot of honesty. Here's what I mean. We've never done this before. Okay? 
So even moving this direction is going to require a level of trust on your part as a congregation and require some trust on my, on my part as, as your, your pastor. So we were pretty clear that nominations could and should be made by the congregation. When we elect deacons, the, the congregation elects deacons. You'll notice in the bylaw revision there have been some changes as to how we do that. I, I don't want to go into the details here unless somebody asks that question. But with elder nominations, we will take nominations from the congregation. But we don't need 35 nominations for elders. Because if you'll notice in the bylaws, it is recommended that we get to at least five elders next year in 23, which would mean three lay elders, myself, Pastor Tad, uh, and then three lay elders. That would be the, the ideal. So if we get 40 names that we've got to figure out, do these men qualify, that's going to be probably not helpful for us in the process. Okay? So we won't... Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We are going to be putting together a nomination form. I don't know if we'll have it by next week. That seems a bit presumptive on my part, on our part. But we will have it soon thereafter that would indicate who, if you were going to nominate somebody, what characteristics should they be? We do the same thing with deacons, so we would do that with elders. They would be available in the church office. We're not going to mail them to everybody because I don't think it's necessarily everybody in the congregation's responsibility to nominate an elder because you're talking about someone who's going to shepherd a church member, care for their soul, lead the congregation to a degree, be able to teach. I mean, this is, this is a relatively specific set of instructions. So what's going to happen is those elders that are nominated, we do have a candidate questionnaire that we are uh, about 80% through with deciding what those questions would be. We would present that questionnaire to a candidate that was nominated. So let's say someone was nominated from the congregation Myself, Tad, and I, I, I think I'm putting Pastor Al on the spot. He has agreed to help us with the vetting process with the first round of elder nominations, at least with the vetting process. And so when a person's nominated, we would let them know they've been nominated by the congregation. Do they have any desire or willingness to serve in that capacity? Uh, at that point, if they did, then we would return to them the questionnaire that they would fill back out and return to us. And then Tad, Al, and I would review that questionnaire and note things that we would want to ask questions about. And really what we're looking at and what you need to be looking at is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualification list for elders is not someone who is professional. It doesn't exclude someone who's professional, right? I'm called. This is a vocational calling for me. I've trained for that, but you will not find in that qualification list a Master of Divinity degree. And you won't find other professional qualifications. You just won't find it. New Testament didn't have that. So a lay leader who fulfills all of those other character qualifications could fit as an elder, could become an elder. They have to desire to do that, have to have some specific qualifications of leadership and able to teach. But then we would vet that questionnaire, look at that questionnaire, and then interview that candidate. And then... Here's, the, here's the, the, the important thing. For an elder to be presented back to the congregation for approval, or for vote, rather, not approval, they have to have a unanimous recommendation from the current group of leaders or elders. So in our case, Al, myself, and Tad, we would have to be three for three before we'd present someone back to the congregation. In future years, should we adopt this model, the elders, the sitting elders, the five, if we get to five next year, prayerfully we do, would have to be 100% on a candidate presenting back to the congregation. Because you're asking someone to share the shepherding role of the church confidentiality, integrity, bearing the weight of someone's spiritual needs as well as physical and emotional needs. I mean, this is a, it's a big deal. It, and I know it is. I carry that weight. I love what I do. But 
I carry that way, so it's a big deal. So it's not something that just anybody who's been here a few years and, man, they seem like they'd be okay in front of, in front of the congregation. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for, some, for individuals who we believe God has raised up to carry a, re, a responsibility, kind of a mantle of shepherding the congregation. So you'll have a part in that in the nomination process, but certainly in the voting process. So what the voting process would look like is after that vetting takes place, and we present that candidate back to the church. We would present them on a given on a given week. I think I, I don't remember exactly how we described if it was thirty days or if it was a, a month. We would present that candidate to the church at one given time and give you some time in between the presentation and the vote to ask that candidate questions. That could happen on a Sunday afternoon at a special meeting. It could happen on a Wednesday night after church or during our Wednesday night time. Happen at different times, but where there would be an opportunity for the congregation to question the individual too. And then each elder candidate will be voted on individually. So we as we when we do deacons we present back to you a list, you select from a number. Elder candidates are not not the same because you're essentially putting someone in the same role and responsibility of shepherding, eldering, being an elder in the life of the church like a pastor would in a paid capacity, so that should be uh, voted on individually. And it's a three-quarter vote of the members present. Secret ballot vote. Same way we would handle a, an, a, a pastoral staff position is the way we would handle you voting on for or against an elder candidate in the life of Wilkesburg Baptist Church. Does that, does that help? Okay. Other questions? Wilma Lovett has one, and he's going to get you a microphone. I think you answered it, but I'm not sure. Did you say it would be secret ballot? Yes, ma'am. The question was, would it be secret ballot? For elder candidates, yes, it would be secret ballot. Show of hands or secret ballot? Secret ballot. So just like with a, a, a pat, like with the, the most recent votes we've had, I think were Josh... Where's Josh? Yeah. We voted on Josh by ballot, and he almost got 100%. One vote, one person voted not for Josh. I don't know who that was. He's trying to find out who they were. Uh, we voted on Dr. Mike and Eddie, and then we voted on Dustin by secret ballot, and their uh, pastoral staff positions. Elders would be voted on by secret ballot. Yes, ma'am. Larry? Changing slight topics. Um, under the membership section, uh, there's things about the elder vetting people to come before the, to be approved before the church votes. If some group comes in, family, no one really knows them, what's going to happen when they come up on a Sunday morning? and try to join the church. I'm going to stop them from joining the church. Uh, no, I, 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 that sounded a little more... more um, so, so, here's, so let me put it this way. And I've done this for the seven years that I've been here. Typically, in a Baptist church, Baptist churches I grew up in, you could walk an aisle on a Sunday morning and tell the pastor you wanted to join the church. He'd ask you, have you been saved and baptized? You'd say yes. They'd say, well, welcome to, welcome to our church. And you'd vote by affirmation in that meeting. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily sinful, but I don't think that's necessarily healthy either. Um, because in some situations... I might not know who that person is and whether we would accept them into the membership of the church, whether they really believe the gospel, understand what salvation and baptism are, understand who our church is. And so about four or five years ago, when you as a church approved restating our mission, leading our neighbors and nations to follow Jesus by worshiping, learning, serving, and replicating, one of the things that we added in that mission realignment was a next steps class. We don't require it, so it doesn't mean you absolutely have to go through that class to join the church. But if anybody comes to me and says, I'd like to join the church, I tell them, well, we've got a Next Steps class coming up on such and such date. Because I want them to know who we are 
So when they decide they want to join Wilkesboro Baptist Church, here's who we are. And in fact, there are probably about 30 or 40, maybe even 30 or 40 folks in the room tonight that have been through a Next Steps class at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. And so it's an opportunity for them to see who we are, for them to ask questions. And then the elder interview that follows that sounds a lot more formal than it really is. Really all that means is that I want to know that the person that wants to be a member of our church has a testimony of conversion. So that they can explain the gospel, explain that they were a follower of Jesus or have become a follower of Jesus, and how Jesus is working in their life. It's essentially me hearing their testimony. That's encouraging for me uh, for tons of reasons, but it's important for you as a church. Here's why. Members should be followers of Jesus. And if if we don't hear by testimony of conversion that someone's a follower of Jesus, then how can I stand up honestly and say to you as a congregation when someone presents themselves for membership, hey, uh, this so-and-so wants to be a member of the church. And if you ask me, well, are they a Christian? I don't know. And, and I, I need to be able to answer that a little better than that. So that's, that's the reason. So since I've been here, Larry... I think I've only had two occasions where somebody has surprised me by asking for membership coming forward. Most of the time those conversations happen in and around the worship services so I can encourage them to a Next Steps class. But if someone came for membership on a Sunday that I didn't know who they were, I would encourage them to go to the Next, next Steps class or I would talk with them immediately after the worship service. And one thing that I would say to that, and uh, Josh, you got a question right over here. One thing that I would say to that would be uh, affirming a bylaw revision that clarifies that a little bit, lets all of you as a church know exactly what we're doing while we're doing it, as opposed to, okay, why is the pastor saying that this folk, this person's been through our next steps class and they've, they've hurt every person that I presented to you? I think every person I've presented for membership since I came here, I've heard their conversion story. Maybe one or two I can't say that about. I think that's pretty important. And so that should give you a little bit of confidence that that person who's presenting themselves for membership understands the gospel, understands salvation, and understands then what their responsibility would be in the life of the church. I'm Lindsay Moon. Um, my husband is former military, so we moved around a lot, and this is more of a comment than anything. Um, but quite a few people in the church have asked us our opinion on the changes in polity, and just wanted to say, you know, as we've transitioned to many different churches in the United States, that we've seen a lot of really healthy things happen in churches where they have this kind of structure of having elders holding the, the senior pastor accountable and um, just want to say, if you have questions about what our experience has been, we're happy to share that with the congregation. Thank you for that. Chris, will elders be preaching? Uh, possibly. Part of the role? <laughs> I'm sorry, I answered while you were still talking. Would you ask that again? I just said, will they be preaching? Will that be part of their role as an elder? It could be. I don't know that it absolutely has to be. So there's the phrase in the elder qualifications, able to teach. That means that an elder should be able to articulate the gospel and be able to speak to the doctrines and the beliefs of the church in a way that is... Uh, articulate in a way that is clear, in a way that is helpful. Okay? Should be able to. I like to preach a lot. I think y'all know that. Sometimes I like to preach longer than the window that I have. Dustin and Mike know that. So when we're talking about worship times, Tad makes fun of me for that. So the, the issue is they need to be able to, but they don't necessarily have to. We would build in times, I think, where lay elders would have an opportunity to speak to the congregation with somewhat regularity or be in front of the congregation. So one of the things you're seeing in our worship services, for example, is reading of Scripture. 
You're seeing um, people give benedictions and, and close the worship service with Scripture. So lay elders, we would ask part of their responsibility on a semi-regular basis would be to be in front of the congregation in some of those worship service capacities. Again, with an understanding that they're not paid staff members, that they're lay leaders in the life of the church. I understand they wouldn't be here as often week to week as, as Pastor Tad and I would, but there would be a level of responsibility there. Possibly even do some teaching on Wednesday nights uh, where they're given an opportunity to teach the congregation in a way that's healthy. Preaching three sermons on a Sunday is, is a learned thing. I mean, it's Al can tell you, Steve can tell you, preaching once will take something out of you. Preaching three times will exhaust you. Um, and there's a level of preparation. I mean, Josh just discovered that, uh, what, a couple weeks ago. It, 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 so we would not expect automatically a lay elder to be ready to preach a Sunday morning worship service. Should they be ready to? Yes. And in fact, part of what our job would be would be to raise up elders who we could train to be. And here's a big reason why. Our mission is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by worshiping, learning, serving, and replicating. Part of the move to a plurality of elders is so that we replicate at every, every level of church life. Since I've been here, I've had the opportunity to lead and start about six or seven men's discipleship groups. And then birth discipleship groups out of those discipleship groups. I can't be in a Sunday school class in our current Sunday configuration, so I can't birth Sunday school classes. But in every other area of our church, we have intentionally built replication into the model. Whether it's co-Sunday school teachers, whether it is co-worship leaders, whether it's raising up worship leaders from within worship teams. You saw that when Brooke led worship a few weeks back. You've seen that with uh, Mike uh, Norman leading worship, Eddie leading worship, where we've raised up others to be able to do what our paid employees are doing on a regular basis. But we've not created a model where I can replicate other pastors or other elders. This model would allow us to move that direction for two reasons. One, our church will be healthier with more lay leadership in the pastor-elder role. That's one reason. And it should be that God would raise up people in the life of our church who can teach and preach. Besides me, that's healthy. That's good for our church. But not just good for our church. See, our job is to send people out. And I think God wants us to raise up people, maybe some younger people, who, are, who feel a calling to ministry and they have an opportunity to learn because we've created training mechanisms for elders to learn how to be elders and pastors and we've created training mechanisms for young pastors to learn how to be pastors. Maybe not so that they'll be an elder at our church and preach regularly, but maybe so that they'll learn how to have a healthy church experience and go somewhere else and preach and be a pastor at another congregation. We've got some of those folks in our church right now that would benefit fit tremendously from a pathway or a process of what it means to be a pastor or to be an elder. Even if they were never presented for eldership at our church, they could learn along with elders at our church in order to be ready to go be pastors somewhere else. And I'm just going to tell you something, folks. We have a uniquely healthy church. We do. We're not perfect, but we have a uniquely healthy church that we should be raising people up and sending people out, like we did with Gary Buffalo. Uh, that should happen more often. But I think we need to lean into the training and replicating model, and a plurality of elders provides us a framework for doing that. But to that's a long answer to your short question. Should they be able to? Yes. Will it change effectively the preaching schedule on a Sunday morning? No. Not, not anytime soon anyway. I have a question about um, terminating memberships. I guess especially concerning people who may have been members here for many years, but for whatever reason haven't been attending. Um, what is that process? 
Well, the, the bylaws state that if we do terminate membership, the membership has to do that. So elders don't get a right to say this person can't be a member. Uh, we wouldn't do that anyway. The congregation has to do that. So any termination of membership, whether that is through an issue of church discipline, um, or whether that is through an issue of uh, disconnection from the life of the church. So say they have a membership here, they've moved, they don't have any interest in coming back. If, if we were to terminate membership, you would have to do that. The, con- the body would have to do that. Congregation would have to do that. And so that would need to take place only after there were efforts to try to bring, whether it's reconciliation or restoration in a church discipline issue, or whether that would be um, uh, clarity or understanding in, a, in the issue of someone being disconnected from the life of the church. Um, to be honest, we need to do a little bit of that anyway in cleaning up our church roles, which is... A plurality of elders will assist with that process because we need to know the people who claim to be members. And I would imagine that we're going to come across some folks that either never want to come back to Wilkesboro Baptist but didn't move their membership. Or, in some cases, folks, there are some churches that don't have a true membership process at their church. So a person has gone to another church, but because they don't really join at that church, their membership is here, yet they're not attending here. And so that's not really a church discipline issue in the sense of they're a bad person and they've left us for a wrong reason. It's simply a, a clarity issue. Okay, if you're attending that church, giving your support to that church, attending that church, and they don't do membership, then we're going to probably request that our church body basically dismiss you from membership at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. So, I mean, that, that just, that just make, that, that makes sense because then we're not responsible to care for somebody that's not here. Uh, And so we hope that'll do several things. We hope that'll encourage some folks to come back that need to be in church. I'll say that kindly and nicely. We also hope that will help us uh, maybe clarify some folks that, that either can't come back physically, health situation, or they've moved. And we don't know that. So part of 2023 is us trying to figure out who those people are, where they are, and what we need to do about those individuals. But like I said, that doesn't happen at the leadership level and you not know about it. If there are any actual decisions to be made about someone's membership, either that person makes it by requesting a transfer or you as a congregation have to make that decision through a process of terminating membership by vote as outlined in the bylaws. Peter, and then uh, Mike. I see a lot of good positives that we gain from this as a congregation to have elders. It seems like you highlighted the fact that they can also be charged with doing some of the interviews so that, Lord willing, this church will grow and a lot of people want to have interviews. We don't want a backlog of, of you and Tad not being able to handle those things. So you said that's one of their tasks or... Uh, one of the things that they'll be able to do. I believe anointing in the sick is another thing. We have a lot of sick people and it just happens. So don't want to have a backlog of that. Um, and also the accountability, the checks and balances, things that just help a healthy church stay healthy. I see a lot of positives. What do you think are some of the negatives, what are some of the negative feedback that you're getting that you've addressed? And you know, could you just share some of that? Sure. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to like sugarcoat this. I haven't gotten any like real hard negative feedback on any of this, which that I I think that's healthy. I'm taking that as a positive. There are there are drawbacks though, um, and some that we're going to have to work through. One is we've got a pretty smoothly oiled committee deacon decision making process in life for our church. It's not broken. Okay? We're not trying to fix something that's broken. 
So one of the things that I know is already a tension, I don't know that it's so much a negative as a tension, is trying to navigate, okay, what will the elders be responsible for in terms of oversight, and how does that function with our committees and our deacons functioning in the healthy capacity that they already are functioning? That's something that I don't have really an answer for yet. We've got to work on that. Um, uh, another negative, this is a negative for me, but I own this negative. I'm going to have more meetings next year because we currently have a deacons meeting and then we'll have an elder meeting and I imagine our elder meeting will take a long time because part of our elder meeting is going to be praying and another part of our elder meeting is going to be working through oversight decisions and then the biggest part of our elder meetings in 2023 are going to be let's look at our membership roles and let's make sure we know the people that are members at our church and that's not going to happen in one meeting that's going to take a series of meetings and conversations so those are things that while they're good they, they do create some level of tension that I don't think we have answered yet. I, here's another one. You know, three years down the road, I think we'll have a process where we identify ahead of time candidates that could be elders and we're thinking about those candidates and we've created a training mechanism where, uh, let me give an example. So, uh, so let's take, let's take um, someone who's a lay elder at the church. One of the things that pastors do is they visit people in the hospital. Okay, uh, or they call people on the phone, depending on the COVID protocols and all things that are going on. But we were taught how to do that in, in Bible college and seminary. So there's a level of, okay, we've got some training to do. The, the vocationally trained pastors have some training to do of the lay elders that would be raised up in the life of our church. Well, one of the things we want to do is create a system where lay elders can learn, but also people who are potential lay elders can learn, because there's nothing that would keep anybody from gathering if we're talking about uh, pastoral uh, pastoral leadership or if we're talking about pastoral care. What Anybody could attend a leadership discussion that would teach us how to do that better. That's not necessarily limited. Now, the decisions of the church would be limited, so we wouldn't let anybody just come into an elder meeting. But in those training systems, those training opportunities, we would open that up for more than just the current elders to be a part of. That does the training aspect. But what that will also let us do is three, four, five years from now, we'll have a pretty good idea of who probably could be, should be, or will be an elder in the coming weeks, months, or maybe even a couple of years. We don't really have that now. This is all new. I say all new. I mean, Tad and Al and I have some ideas, but I don't know. I, I really don't know at this point who the lay elders are going to be. I've got ideas, but I don't know come January 23. I'm going to be honest with you. Gives me a bit of concern. I, that's a good tension, I think, because... The Bible says this is the way we're supposed to operate. So if God says it, then it must be good for me, and it must be good for Wilkesboro Baptist Church, even if I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, here's something we could all learn as a church. When things are going well, sometimes we don't have to spend a lot of time trusting God. Because God's just doing something stuff. He did some stuff in the last couple of weeks that surprised me. No idea he was doing. He was up to something. He was up to something that brought someone to salvation. He was doing things behind the scenes. Well, I have to trust him for that, but that's not. It's not forcing my faith. A change in structure, adding lay elders in life in our church, that's going to force our faith a little bit. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a place where God wants us individually and certainly a place where God wants us as a church. So I don't know that that's necessarily a problem. I think it's an opportunity, but I certainly think it's a tension. Mike? I'm not going to stand because my back's pulled out, but I'm going to read a sentence in the old bylaws uh, that's not currently in the new uh, it has to do with the uh, duties of the deacons. Uh, in the old bylaws, it says, It shall at all times regard themselves as servants of the church with the pastor and as the Holy Spirit may direct 
they are to consider and make recommendations to the church in matters pertaining to its work and progress, including oversight of the discipline of the church and establishment and maintenance of the spiritual and fraternal relations with all members of the church. I understand we got like 800 members and we got 20 deacons and I, 20 deacons can't hardly learn all the members of the church but is there some way that all the members of the church can learn who all 20 deacons are? Yeah, I, I think that is Mike, you've touched on something that is a uh, is a tension point that we're going to have to work on. So that sentence was removed because I, I think the Bible articulates that the elder is the overseer. And so you have deacon oversight. It worked here because we have godly men serving as deacons. And if you want to go back and hear my discussion on godly leadership and structure, I did that in that sermon in March on polity. But that's not necessarily the way the Bible lays that out. So that's part of the reason that sentence was removed or changed uh, in the in the bylaw revision. However, one of the things that, that I think is tremendously important that we're working towards and this model will let us, I believe that every elder should know who every church member is. Now that doesn't mean that every elder will have a direct personal relationship with every church member. That, that's a little bit impossible. Um, but the elders should know the church. The church absolutely should know the elders. Without question. Because, you, I mean, they should be visible. They should be known. They, they, if they're able to teach, if they're able to lead, if they're over, overseeing the ministry of the church, they should absolutely be known by the church. So we're not proposing a hidden structure. The challenge with deacons is that deacon ministry is essentially, biblically, behind the scenes. It, it's not about a platform and it's not about everybody knowing who that person is. It's about that person serving a specific role to help the church move forward in a specific ministry area. It's not wrong that they're known. I mean, I'm not saying that we ought to hide deacons. I'm just saying that the, the, the picture of deacons is a role of serving. And generally in the Bible, it's also a role of specific serving. So let me give you, give you an example. Our deacons make up a chunk of our committees. And they do a really good job managing whether it's property committee or whether it's managing personnel committee or finance committee or those things. Well, y'all don't necessarily know all the inner workings of those meetings, but they do a really good job and they don't care to have their name highlighted in lights for you know the cost-saving decisions that they made as finance committee or the, the staff decisions they made with regard to personnel. So there's that tension of, okay, diaconal ministry is about serving a specific need in the life of the church. Can they be known? Yes, it's not wrong. Uh, but one of the things we're going to figure out in 23 is then what, what do our deacons do on a regular basis? I'll be honest with you, 20 is not enough. Okay? We need more deacons. Because we have lots of more people in the life of our church that need ministering to. I want you to hear me. This move is not a move to gut our deacons. It's actually a move to expand our deacons. I don't think we have near enough. I think we've got... Uh, I'm not going to share, you, share this with you because it will scare you. But I've got so many ideas for areas of deacon ministry that we're not doing now. That we need to be doing. So I hope that in 2023 we propose to you that we add deacons to our deacon ministry. Significantly add deacons to our deacon ministry. To be responsible for different ministry areas as well as different committee responsibilities. Does that mean you'll know all of them? Maybe. Or maybe not. But definitely the elders, without question. The elders need to be known. The elders need to be accessible. And here's a challenge for me and for whoever God's going to send to us. We need to know everybody in the church. Know who they are, where they are. I, I, it, at some point in 2023, hopefully in 23, uh, maybe, maybe 24, you ought to be able to ask any elder in the church, staff or lay, about a name of somebody who's a member of our church and we ought to be able to tell you at least what's going on in their life. Where they are, why they're not here if they're not here. If they're shut in, they're shut in. That doesn't mean that we have to go 
spend tons of time with them every week. It just means we need to know. And to do that, we're going to have to know some of you, have conversations with some of you. Some of you know people better than I know people. I had that happen just recently in a pastoral care situation. I didn't know what was going on, but somebody else did. And it came to me. And that's not because we're the only ones that can do ministry. But if, if someone over there needs ministry and I don't know that they need ministry, then it's kind of hard to hold me. I am accountable. But how do I help get the ministry to that family that needs it if we don't know what's going on? And so there's a, there's a, a level of knowing. One thing you're, you're... This isn't in any bylaw revision. It's not anything I've said before. When you're affirming or, or approving lay elders in the future, what you're affirming is for a person to know any of your junk and any of my junk that happens in our lives. Because to be cared for is to be known. And many of you have come to me with stuff over the years and shared with me stuff that that I have never shared with anybody else and I wouldn't share with anybody else. I've kept that confidential. I, I wouldn't share that with other people. But when you're affirming someone in the role of pastor, you're affirming that there's a person who can know the stuff going on in your life. So there's a level of trust that is necessitated in that role of shepherding and, and, and pastoring. Why? Because I'm just going to be frank. I cannot care for everybody to the extent that they probably need care. So plurality of elders spreading out among a plurality of deacons will let us handle the ministry that needs to be done that's far more than what we're doing now. And we're doing a lot of good ministry, but it needs to be more so that people in the church can get the, the consistent care that they need, and I'm not—I'm I'm not complaining. I'm not—I don't mean that as a uh, "woe is me" or anything along those lines. It's just, how do we do this better? How do we be more healthy in the life of the church? How do we let people be known and also know who is caring for them? That's what I mean. That's where we're headed, or where I hope we're headed. Okay, we're seven oh five. You've asked great questions. Any others? I'll take uh, one or two more. Miss Wilma? Sorry for asking two. It's okay. Uh, it is it is within the realm of reality that we will have deacons who have served at Wilkesboro Baptist Church who will become elders. But we will probably not have a deacon and an elder serving at the same time because they're two different offices with two different areas of responsibility. So, for example, if a deacon, current deacon, were nominated to be an elder and approved by the congregation to be an elder, they would cease to be a deacon. So then the deacons would be responsible to facilitate that next term or the rest of that term, say they were is a midterm year. So you wouldn't have a deacon and an elder serving at, as a deacon and serving as an elder at the same time. Any other questions? If you don't have any other questions that you want to ask me publicly, then if you'll, uh, if, if Lee Bentley's right there in the back. He's the vice chair of our deacons. He helped revise our bylaws. Steve Melton, Mac McGinnis, John Snyder, and James Sullivan are here as well. I'm sure they would be willing to try to answer any question that you have about the bylaw revision. Just a word about next week. So the bylaw revision, and we have copies, by the way, of the, I say it's the cleaned up. Uh, if, if you read it really, really closely, there are a couple of edits in there that are not in the copy that you downloaded. They're minor. They're like a word here, a word there, just to clarify some things. We have some hard copies available there in the back. You can see Barbara. She can give you one if you want to pick one up and take it with you. We will be bringing this to a vote next Wednesday at the church conference. That means that uh, we will still open it up for questions. It won't be a town hall question discussion, but in the form of Robert's Rules of Order, we will present it as a motion and open the floor for discussion or questions on that motion. So it's not like this is your last time to raise an issue or raise a question. Um, But we do not anticipate that this vote will be secret ballot. Uh, most of our votes in our church conferences and future member meetings, should we approve these bylaws, are not secret ballot. Staff are secret ballot, so this will be a show of hands uh, for, for next Wednesday for the, the bylaw revision vote. 
just a word of it, a kind of guidance about that. Any other questions? If not, we're at uh, 7.08. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your wonderful questions. Thank you for your support and more than anything for your prayers for Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Good night. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.